Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, which doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, whore to a gutter rat, and who is with me on the line today? This is Chelsea Jupin. Hello. Hi, welcome to the new show, Chelsea, uh, friend I'm of the original show. So excited to be here and continue being a friend of any iteration of the show. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, you and your husband have been on Peak Show before, uh, not at the same time, uh, but to discuss uh, TV, books, Netflix shows. Now we're going to Movie Town. You're here with me to discuss, of course, James Cameron's epic Titanic. Now, we were talking uh, before we actually hit record about how you agreed to do this instantly um you know you were willing to do a day of recording but if you could let your listeners into what made you say yes to the titanic request i like so many of us was a titanic girl i was kind of a titanic girl before the movie too um Ah. there had been a 1996 miniseries that is sometimes available on youtube to varying degrees of quality and legality um and it's not good at all i'm not recommending (laughs) it but it You know, I was, uh, so when that came out, I would have been 12. um, And it was just this huge sweeping romance of these characters. And I was hooked instantly. And so I read A Night to Remember. I I got deep into Titanic. And then this huge movie came out about it. And it was just kind of everything to me for mm, two years of my life. That's fantastic. That's like... I know there's kind of the jokes only about like every girl either goes through her Titanic phase or her Greek mythology phase. It was definitely a Titanic phase for me slash a general like disaster movie uh, stage. Yeah, this uh, preceded uh, just by a little bit. Then when the Anastasia movie came out, I got big into learning all about uh, them and the Romanovs and the Russian Revolution and all of that. So that I was on my way to becoming a Romanov girl (laughs) by the time this came out. That's beautiful. I, I love seeing like what, what the geeky girls of the 90s are up to now. Yes. <laughs> um, so now before we go forward, Tales from the Rec Room has one important tradition, which is plugs up front. But you know, every week for the last few weeks, I've been emphasizing, okay, we're recording this in mid-July. Who knows where Twitter is now? But I, I think Twitter or X is officially down the tube. So nevertheless, Chelsea, where can we find you uh, online or read your thoughts or writings or any recent podcasts you've been on? Yeah, I quit Twitter a little bit ago. I still every now and then hop on to offer people Blue Sky uh, invite codes. So (laughs) I'm on Blue Sky at Chelsea Jupin, but I'm more using Instagram these days, uh, which I opened up. um, And I'm at Chelsea Jupin on that. And you have a lot of fantastic pictures of your dog on Instagram. It's a very soothing Instagram, I will say. Oh, well, thank you. It's just like, you know, nice meals out and your fantastic (laughs) dog. She's pretty... (laughs) I, I can't help it. She's so fantastic. She is. Um, all right. So let's go through kind of the where and when, because Tales from the Rec Room is all about context. It's all about who we were when we saw these movies and who it turned us into. So I know we were both pretty young when we came out. I'm a little younger than you. But did you see this within the first year it came out or afterward? Did you see it in theaters? I did. I saw it in theaters. I went on a family Christmas vacation the week it came out, and I was furious that I had to wait (laughs) and could not see it immediately. I went whenever it was that I came back from vacation uh, with some friends and saw it at the Falls, which was one of the outdoor malls in Miami that was named for that because it had all these little mini waterfalls and all that. And I'm sure it's the kind of thing that now I would go to and look at and be like, this is amazing. But at the time, it was just what your mall looked like. So I didn't that's that's one of the things about growing up in Florida is that you don't really realize that the rest of the world doesn't look like that. 
<laughs> so um, yeah, I did see it within the first year and I saw it in theaters. But with me, it was a little bit strange because um, I've mentioned before, I grew up in a town of 8,000 people and we only had a single screen at our movie theater, the Royal Theater. And so that meant that movies really could only show for a week. And even still, we would not get movies on time. We would get them sometimes about two months after they came out. Sure. Um, you know, almost closing in on that home video uh, window. Uh, if a movie ever came out on the week that it opened, like if the movie ever came to our town on the actual release date, it was a big deal. And there were only two movies that they ever did that for, Titanic and Star Wars. Uh, okay. Episode one. Yeah. Um, and... It came out in November when I was in the second grade. Okay. And so I think it might have stayed there for a week. I did not go see it in the original run. Sure. Um, but like the big kind of word around the playground was like, you see boobs in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I have no interest in that. Um, <laughs> but um, obviously it was so popular in my town Um despite being in English, because everyone in my town was very uh, Francophone loyalist, sure. but um, that it came back for a second run. Because, I mean, this movie was in theaters for like 10 damn months. And to anyone who wasn't around when it came out, this was a movie that people were famously seeing multiple times. Oh, I only yeah. saw it in theaters twice, but I later in high school, uh, one of my closer friends had seen it like 21 times, I think was her total. And that was not uncommon, you know, like there were, there were, and a lot of it was teenage girls, but there were a lot of repeat viewings. And you know, seeing movies back then was pretty cheap. So I support that behavior. Yeah. Um, it's still, yeah. with a three hour and 15 minute, you know, movie, you start to, to times that by 21 and that feels like an awful lot of time, but. I, you know, you, you could have been working on a craft. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it came back for a second round, and I don't remember when exactly it was, probably around the end of the year, because I remember waiting, it was a lineup around the block to get in, I remember waiting in that line without, with my mom, and I wasn't wearing a jacket, and if you weren't wearing a jacket <laughs> in my town, it had to be at least June, because yeah. very, very cold where I grew up, um, yeah. not, no outdoor malls with waterfalls. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just, you know, put... Brie next to Chelsea watching the movie. I'm sure I was in like a t-shirt and shorts or something like that. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my hometown, by the way, I'm realizing I'm talking so much about this. Kaposkising, Ontario. Who was born in Kaposkising, Ontario? Mr. James Cameron. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Now, I think he moved away before he even like went to elementary school because I don't okay. think there's any record. But when I saw that his father is an electrical engineer, which my father was as well, um, Kaposkising, like one of its, besides the forestry industry, its biggest employer is Ontario Hydro, which is like our power authority. Okay. And so I'm wondering if his dad was a hydro man. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. But yeah, he was born in Kaposkising, this terrible little town. That's very cool, yeah. though. What a, yeah, but what a connection. I, it's very strange. He is like the only famous person from that town. <laughs> um, and they don't, even they don't really consider him from there because he was sure. just born there. But right. um yeah, so, like, I think my mom thought, like, okay, she's eight years old now. Like, she is mature enough to watch this movie. I don't care that there's nudity in it. Um, I think she's more concerned that I'd, like, throw a blood clot watching it. <laughs> but um, I was I was fascinated. I yeah. loved it, and I felt like such a grown-up watching it. And I will say, right away, I was way more into the disaster than, yeah. than anything else. Yeah, I... At least, certainly, the first time was not. I also, <laughs> you know, so this was... I was super into Titanic and really interested in the history of it, but 
it was also after William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet had come out, and I had such a crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. So <laughs> that's, if I'm being honest, the first time I saw it was mostly a lot of swooning and thinking about how sad it was that this beautiful man, you know, was, was not with me or no longer living or real or any of those things. <laughs> well, we are getting into one of my other questions about yes. like what young you loved about the movie. Um, so obviously Leo is a big thing, but what were some of the other things that really like just caught young Chelsea's attention? Leo and the romance certainly foremost, but also, man, did I love My Heart Will Go On as a teenager. I, uh, you know, and it's so saccharine and so sort of perfect for the movie, but also so sort of ridiculous in its own way. But boy, as a 13-year-old girl, I loved it. The local Miami radio station would play a version that they cut uh, dialogue from the movie into, I don't know if that was legal, but they did. <laughs> uh, and I taped it off the radio and would listen to that version and instead, and oh, I just, it was the most, it was the most, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I loved it. I, um, I never cared for that song, but also there is an added baggage of my mother's a piano teacher as I mean, well I'm, as yeah, an Celine accompanist. Celine Dion to a Canadian yeah. is very different to Celine Dion to a Floridian. Yeah. For what it's worth, I love Celine Dion now. Um, and I love like when I'm uh, at dance competitions and I see old school lyrical solos. So like the power of love yeah. and stuff like that. But at the time, um, my mother was accompanying no less than five singers every year doing sure. My Heart Will Go On. And when I was older, even, they tried to push it on me, and I don't have that voice. I am a alto, very yeah. much an alto. Um, and also, I don't think that song is not is meant for immature voices, no, even if you no, are a soprano. It's basically only meant for the one voice, and mm -hmm. that was Celine Dion's. Yeah. Bless her. Um, yeah. But yeah, young Brie, I think, like, I went in, like, I'm not going to lie. I was eight years old. I went in excited about boobs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was certain scandalous. this was the first movie nudity that I had ever seen, it's at least certainly in theaters, if not in general. And it was, it was yeah. shocking. It was scandalous for me, but I had no idea who Kate Winslet was, but I actually could feel myself falling in love with her and yeah. just her face, the way she spoke, um, her hair. Her hair is the MVP of that movie. Her hair is so fantastic. Her eyes are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's so perfect in this role. So she's amazing. And I found myself like, Leo who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I also just like, when I got a little bit older, like around middle school, that was when I started to understand the care and time and everything that went into this movie. And yeah. I became fascinated. I wanted to know everything there was to know about the making of the Titanic and what yeah. James Cameron did. And like James Cameron seems like an absolute psycho in so many ways, but boy, in, yeah, but who else is doing what he does? I, he's making it work, but yikes. <laughs> Talk about someone. I don't want to be stuck talking to at a dinner party, but uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I think this has come up several times on this podcast, but I always call it, I call it now the Shelley Duvall problem of mm -hmm. like, Stanley Kubrick should not have short tortured Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining, but we did get The Shining. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I can't stop, I can't go back in time and say, Stanley, no. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, and the, hey, the whole unspoken reason of why we're talking about Titanic now is because of recent news events. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's gotten Titanic on my brain. And that's, you know, rewatching this and watching the beginning and sort of watching the part where they're actually going to the uh, 
to the wreckage and knowing that Cameron did that himself is so crazy and works so well in this movie. So you can sort of almost understand how someone would be like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. But at the same time, are you crazy? Like (laughs) going, if you have that much money, do it anything else other than trying to take yourself to the bottom of the ocean in what turned out to just be like a tin can. Yeah. Um, no, like, I love when people are like, oh, who's going to make the movie about, uh, what was it even called? The Titan? Um, the, yeah, the, uh, I forget what they called it. The Ocean. I call it the, I call it the SS Hubris, man. Um, <laughs> See, mind that's you, a better name than whatever it was. Yeah. Mind you, m- some might call Titanic that. But yeah. Um, yeah, like, I'm just like, why would you need a movie? It was instant. Yeah. And you can't make any of these people likable. Yeah. Um, but so what were at the time your go-to movie snacks? <laughs> so I didn't realize uh, how horribly inappropriate my, uh, to this day, uh, favorite movie snack is. If I'm going to a movie and I'm getting a snack, it's snow caps. But the fact that I was eating snow caps during Titanic was maybe <laughs> a little, uh, you know, inappropriate in ways that I definitely wasn't thinking about. But it's it's still to this day, it is, you know, if sometimes I'll do popcorn, sometimes, but... Snowcaps are are movies to me. I am. I don't think I've never. Do heard they of snow not cap even before. exist for you? So okay, they might be something that because I know like what we call uh, what you guys call Smarties, we call rockets. Yeah, so, so. they're the chocolate uh, chocolate chips with the nonpareils, um, the little white balls. Uh, on oh, them. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes. You know Love what? Them. I you can buy those at bulk stores, but not packaged. So oh, I really? think I guess I just didn't realize they had a name. Okay, yeah. In yeah. in the U.S., you don't really see them packaged like in candies. They're only kind of at movie theaters or like sometimes in drugstores. But huh. yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're pretty great. If you're if you've got a, a real sweet tooth and, and prefer chocolate over fruity snacks, which is usually my thing, yeah, uh, and you're girl. in the U.S., I guess uh, go with snow caps. Yeah. I'm going to smuggle back so many snowcaps from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> not for me, Ovs. Um, so <laughs> if I was eight years old, I was pretty much solely a popcorn girl at yeah. this point. Um, this was around the time that my um, that my movie theater had introduced like the kid combo of like a small thing of popcorn, a small drink, and a little chocolate bar. However, oh. we were a family on a budget. And we realized, because my mom's like, well, I don't want you having like popcorn and chocolate. And what my mom, bless her soul, would do is she would always, in her hoodie or whatever, sneak in some cans of pop. Nice. And we would just get a large popcorn. And there was much more bang for our buck when we cheated the system a little bit. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's, (laughs) and especially now because movie theaters are starting to do away with snow caps because they're a random U.S. 90s only thing that I'm still obsessed (laughs) with. Uh, So I do sometimes have to smuggle those in. (laughs) You know, on last week's episode, which is obviously not out yet, but I talked a lot about working at a Dollarama, uh, Mm -hmm. which is the closest thing we have to Dollar Tree here, um, in which was in the same shit mall as my uh, the town of North Bay's big movie theater. And the only time people would come to Dollarama was before a movie started on Friday night. And they would get a (laughs) bunch of off-brand snacks and load their pockets up with it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now I I have a feeling that this, the answer is going to be yes. But was your love of this movie something that you shared with your friends or were you kind of on your own and liking it? Yeah, no. Most of my friends were were pretty into it. I mean, certainly at least the movie. I don't remember if I had friends that were like, 
watching it being like, oh, there's Mr. Ismay and like had done sort of the <laughs> reading about the actual Titanic beforehand. That might have been uh, a me only thing, um, <laughs> which is fine. But, you yeah, know. <laughs> um, I think it took a while because um, like my parents were notoriously permissive parents, yeah. uh, as is evidenced by the fact that I had two additional parents named Marge and Homer. But um, <laughs> So I was definitely the first kind of in my class that watched Titanic. And, mm-hmm. um, but I'd say once I got to about middle school and finally like the other girls in my class that I was friends with, uh, when they finally saw it and they got it. And especially when I, the second I heard someone else say, oh yeah, like I have the, the two VHSs, but sometimes I only watch the second. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> let's talk girl. Let's talk. You and me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to just contextualize the era a little bit. And so I do like how a lot of people, especially girls, will talk about going through their Titanic phase and like being obsessed with the shipwreck. Because like I said, James Cameron, this whole movie started because he was in a Titanic phase. James Cameron was a Titanic girl. Yeah, (laughs) he was. Um, And it's like this movie got made because James Cameron was in his blank check phase. Like I... I think it's been mythified a little bit. I don't think 20th Century Fox ever thought it would fail, but they greenlit this film because they wanted to keep him happy. And they're they, like, it seems that the reaction was like, a love story on the Titanic. Well, I don't know about you, but whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but the budget. So I had fun going down a rabbit hole yesterday because <laughs> Titanic was the largest budget movie of the 90s with a budget of at the time 200 million um which these days would be worth 365 million hilariously the largest movie prior to that in the 90s was Waterworld, um which Oof. that that paid off yeah um so adjusted for yeah inflation titanic's but budget 365 million what i find insane though is how many movies there are now with higher budgets and i'm not just talking about avatar so i i even i made graphs i'm not going to show you my graphs but <laughs> Of the 100 most expensive movies of all time, the lowest is Superman 1978 with an estimated budget equivalent of $245 million today. Okay. So that's your low benchmark, $245 million or higher. Um, I, I would call everything above that like a huge budget movie. Yeah. In, in the 90s, there were four movies, including Titanic, that were above that. Um, in and there were two movies prior to uh, to the '90s, the aforementioned Superman as well as Cleopatra. Um, after that, from 2003 on, every single year except 2020, for obvious reasons, and most of these are delayed releases, there's been at least one movie with that large a budget every year for the last 20 years. Yeah. In 2012 and 2014, that was the biggest. There were seven movies in each of those years with that large or larger budget. In 2023, so far, we're halfway through the year, there have been five movies with a budget that large. Um, The highest budget movie of all time, by the way, is The Force Awakens. Um, What I found crazy is that in that top 100 list, no Star Wars prequels. That is fascinating. Yeah. All the Star Wars sequels and Solo, but not the prequels. Interesting. I guess they had a tighter budget than we would have expected yeah and what i what i found crazy though is like you think of big budget movies and you think action which like and or not even just action but like epic action things like you know the king kong remake and and shit but like a lot of these on the big budget list aren't even considered epics anymore they're just normal action movies like fast x right like who would have thought because or cars 2 and tangled are on that list yeah um like 
there's a lot of very expensive movie making technology these days and so much is spent on movie. Hey, it would, wouldn't it be great if people um, paid actors and, and writers? It would be. Yeah. yeah. We've got, we're, we're sure spending the money. Maybe, maybe it could go to a few less explosions, fewer you know, explosions or something. You know, like I say every week, like I kind of end up foretelling the death of Twitter on, on this. Maybe <laughs> by the time this comes out, we will have, found a fair deal and our actors and writers will actually be able to get residuals from streamers and fucking meal breaks yeah that um, would be great and uh hopefully we listen to this and we're like ha 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 that's so funny that um that that happened but so let's talk about the stars uh what i think is so interesting is how like this movie has very different it had pretty different impacts on the career trajectories of the two stars who are both still very much stars especially dicaprio but like Kate Winslet wasn't a complete unknown, but she wasn't known to American audiences, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you had seen Sense and Sensibility, you knew her from that, but she wasn't the lead in it. So, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they had... I, I don't know how well-known Gwyneth Paltrow was at the time. Like, I n- know that she had been in Seven and stuff, but it's more that she was a Nepo baby. So right. She was and at the daughter. time, she was largely probably known as being the person who had dated Brad Pitt, unfortunately. Yeah. And and she would go on to do Shakespeare in Love. So she had she had a good end of the nineties too. Oh sure, yeah. I still unironically love Shakespeare in Love. I know people have soured Me on too. it. But, I, um, I it's one that I won't go back and rewatch because I don't want to be disappointed in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Winona Ryder, which I would have I think Winona Ryder actually would have been also a very great choice for the I think she had like in the nineties a very regal uh, kind of air about her, like regal and a little bit quirky, which Rose needs to be. Yeah, I think Gwyneth or Winona would have been pretty good roses. Of the uh, uh, supposed jacks that I've heard, the only one that sort of sticks with me is I know they were thinking about Jeremy Sisto. Oh my God, I was going to say Jeremy Sisto. And I, to the point he, where he's even done screen tests with Kate Winslet. And that is just not something I can make my mind connect. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I'm a big fan of Jeremy Sisto. And what I will say, because like, and maybe the reason I was never super captivated by Leo in this role is because that that face is not a working class face. <laughs> it's um, not. No, exactly. He's, <laughs> you he's would really way too pretty. Long. Yes. You know, it's kind of like how these days when we talk about period pieces and we say like an actor has iPhone face, like yes. that's, that's a face that knows what an iPhone looks like. That is a face that knows what, you know, a shower a day looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, exactly. Yeah. He, he is sort of playing working class by way of a uh, high school production of Oliver Twist. Um <laughs> In a way that I find works, but at the same time, if I had seen this at the first time as an adult who was not a 13-year-old in love with Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm sure I would have a more nuanced opinion of his performance than I do now, which is just that it's great. I mean, he is Jack Dawson. He is charming as hell. And uh, as much as I love Jeremy Sisto, I don't think he is nearly as charming. No, I think Jeremy Sisto could have been a pretty decent Cal. Um, Not Ah. that anyone is asking me about casting a movie 30 years ago but you know you know when I read about Rob Lowe being considered for Cal I think that works as well because Rob Lowe has very manic energy but like I and he was the more of the moment actor I mean Rob Lowe had a much longer career than um, Billy Zane as well for sure Um, it was not at that point a very illustrious career though Uh, he was still kind of a punchline yeah Um, but I, I think Billy Zane's like performance like I remember watching it with my mom and she goes like, you're going to hate this guy, but like in a fun <laughs> way, because like he was the ultimate love to hate character of the nineties. He was kind oh, of yeah. almost an early meme, you know? Yeah, absolutely. To the, uh, I sort of only really know him from this and sort of just 
then he's in Zoolander playing yeah. himself. Which you need to listen to your friend, Billy exactly. Zane. <laughs> so, and it, which feels like it's just sort of nodding to Titanic, maybe just because it's in my head. So yeah, he's, uh, he is perfect in this, but at the same time, what a, what a trajectory. Yes. But then like Leo is like, well, first of all, I'll say Kate Winslet has been in my favorite movie of all time, which is Eternal Sunshine, in which her hair is also the star of the movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> if, if I had that head of hair, I'd let them do whatever they wanted with it. Um, but Leo, on the other hand, like, I think he has all but said that he sort of resents what the movie did to this career. Like, he is yeah. grateful for it. But, like, he was this well-respected, young, up-and-coming dramatic actor with an Oscar nomination. And, look, as, as much as we can say it's problematic, like, what's eating Gilbert Grape? is he is it's, so good it's such it. a performance yeah it's yeah yeah it's i i just rewatched it a few weeks ago and it still will, like brings tears to my eyes he was fantastic and titanic turned him into a tiger beat cover boy for a few years and right i i really truly would say that it wasn't until he started working with scorsese that i think it's fair to say he got back on that oscar track like i think so and i think it but I think the the trajectory, you know, whether or not he's happy with it, seems to to work. There's, you know, there is ele- there are elements of what became, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, the really good actor in Jack Dawson, and you can mm-hmm. see that he will get that way. Uh, but he's just got to make a, a stop in Dreamboat Town first. I, you know, I know it's yeah. tough, but as someone who had that poster, yes. just deal with it, Leo. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I think it's that. He is so charming, but I think for he had to really resist charming roles for a while. Yeah. Because, um, like, he is great, like, stuff like The Basketball Diaries, which is very devoid of charm. Like, yeah. Um, and, and, but, because even, like, Catch Me With You Can, I know, was considered, like, okay, but it, it was really um, The Departed. That was yeah. really, like, the, oh, my God, Leo is back, baby. Kind I of thing. love the, Catch Me If You Can is sometimes, I think, maybe one of my favorite Spielberg mo- Like, might up, be up there, depending on the mood. And he's that's a movie where he uses the charm that does work so well in Titanic, yeah. but gets to do a lot more, you know, meaty acting. And I think it's, it's really a, a lovely bridge between those two parts of his career. Mm-hmm. And so, so good. So I will also say, because, you know, talking about the way this sends you down rabbit holes, I think this movie was my introduction to a lot of great actors' careers. This was the first time I remember ever seeing Kathy Bates in a movie. And I loved Kathy Bates in this movie. I think I loved Molly Brown. And now that I realize, you know, talking about like the actor strike and stuff, I'm like, oh, because she was she had working class solidarity. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have always loved Molly Brown, too. The, The the overlap between Titanic and musical theater is also not insubstantial, which is a huge thing. I was a big, uh, am a big fan of. In 1997, there was a Broadway musical of Titanic that opened in April. Wait, which, I didn't know that. Yes, it ran for a couple years. I think it might have won Best Musical of the Year that it was up, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think the opening number is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything kind of goes down from there. Other people disagree with me. That's fine. But speaking of Molly Brown, there is also uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown musical, which they adapted into a movie with uh, Debbie Reynolds. So she was a character that I already knew and loved. And boy, does Kathy Bates nail it and feels like the definitive. I've seen several Molly Browns now, and, and Kathy Bates is the one that I think is the most definitive. Yeah, she really looks like her as well, which I know that's not what they're going for. Although, man, they struck gold with Bernard Hill. 
yeah. who plays uh, E.J. Smith, who is also a, gr- a great actor. Yes. Um, like, I didn't realize, because, like, there are some actors that I'm like, oh, why did I not see much of this person after? And it's because a lot of these were stage actors. Right. Um, and Titanic does read, like, a stage play. Right. Um, it's just something that you can't really do in a practical sense on a stage. Right. Um, Jonathan Hyde, whom I knew as a kid because I knew him from the Richie Rich movies. But, like, <laughs> um, this was also the first time I ever saw um, Victor Garber yes. in a movie. And I think, like, my male crush in this movie was Victor Garber. He's he's super great. His accent is maybe a little less great than everything about him. <laughs> um, but, boy, I, I love him. I love him in anything. I'm always glad whenever he pops up, even if it's with a, a, a B-plus Irish accent. You know, I um, I have, like, a real chip on my shoulder, and I was convinced that, like, a disproportionate amount of Irish people died on the Titanic, and <laughs> okay. I was actually incorrect um, that 7% of the, of the people who boarded the Titanic were Irish, 7% of the people who died were Irish. So I'm Irish-Canadian, and so, of course, I'm always going to be looking for, like, Irish victimization in sure. things, um, and I'm like, oh, no, and all, but then when I started reading, like, you know, how were the Irish treated, and it's because most of the Irish on the Titanic were um, either White Star Line employees, or they were steer- or in steerage, steerage right. um, because it was a lot of Irish immigrants. So that's the tragedy of it: is they were trying to emigrate. Um, right. But uh, all the articles that I came across reading was like, actually, it's a myth that Irish people were treated poorly on the Titanic. Actually, the Irish yeah. had a great time on the Titanic. I'm like, you sound really defensive. Right? Is articles. that the English <laughs> writing those articles? Though is what I want to know. Yeah. And I say this as someone whose family is English going back. But oh yeah, I married an English. Were we treating so. the Irish really well? I don't. <laughs> think so uh, also could get it tommy ryan just saying i yeah like i remember looking at my mom saying we're irish canadian right and she's like yes i'm like oh okay like <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I have this as a note down further but like james cameron just kept writing fictional irish characters to kill them like yeah <laughs> he, like and and make them sweet and adorable or really handsome and dreamy or all these things so that you really felt for them. And then after three lines, they were dead. <laughs> I'm really glad that they cut the scene of little Cora and her family drowning before our very yeah. eyes. But I'm just like, yep, he just keeps writing fictional. Like, these characters didn't actually exist. We, you've got a problem with the Irish, James? I don't know. Let's talk about it. There's a lot of fascinating insights into <laughs> problems that James Cameron might have in this movie. And I think we've uncovered another one here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one thing I found, um, like I said, every time I watch this movie, I find more things to be fascinated by. Sometimes I find things to laugh at. And uh, when I was looking at, like, other non-fictional or historical fiction accounts of the Titanic thing, sinking, so things like A Night to Remember, documentaries about some of the specific historic figures, I think it's funny that, like, Cameron's version, like, didn't didn't really make any new allegations or declarations about what happened or what was the right. truth. And it's almost ironic because you hear that clip at the very beginning of Brock saying to the TV, like, oh, yeah, everyone knows all the cliche stories, of the Titanic, like the band playing till the end. Like, I'm looking for the untold stories. And what Cameron does is he films and he makes up an untold story. And then he uses all those other stories that are told to death. I'm not knocking it. I think that's actually right. a fascinating thing to do. I think it's the right way to do it. I think it's the respectful sort of way to do it um, without, you know, I know that there are families of the people who are depicted in the movie who aren't necessarily so happy with various depictions. Yes. You know, so so probably better off to not involve the leads in the movie in that kind of conversation. Yeah, the big one obviously being William Murdoch, which like I feel yeah. very conflicted feelings about this. I think 
to me, I think the more offensive thing to me as a family member would be to randomly write him killing a ma- an innocent man, which right. like, because I sometimes feel when someone denies like, oh, this person couldn't possibly have have died by suicide. I'm like, how much of this is actually just extreme? Um, uh, gosh, I forgot the word stigmatization of suicide. Right. Um, right. And, you know, people it, it's still very much a time and not to like the time his gender, um, his the position. circumstances yes. are so, you know. I mean, c- given that it happened in the middle of disaster, one might use the word cowardly, but there were accounts that, witness accounts, and I'll say Cameron at least tried to make it right in terms of, sure. like, donating a bunch of money and stuff, but if I were a family member, I'd be pissed, but like I said, I'd be far more pissed about writing him shooting a guy. Exactly. That feels like the more egregious uh, addition to his story. But yeah, but no, like I think the interesting thing when I when I think about the fact that Cameron decided to make up an unstolled story to tell like what he is saying and what this movie is saying is that there are untold stories in all of this. And actually, like as much as we talk about like the disaster, the disaster, there's so much humanity in the depiction yes. of the disaster. Um, yes. You know, the like everyone that we see, everyone we meet and like. I'm sure you've seen the very large suite of deleted scenes. There are so many people whom we we would get to meet in those deleted scenes that we don't actually get to meet. Um, and we see them and they still feel fully fleshed out. And it feels very, right. you know, other than the few, you know, that we've mentioned, it feels very respectful to the people. And it assures like everyone had their own little stories. Yes, everyone there's a lot of really fully developed characters in here, whether or not they necessarily made it to the final cut uh and depicted as such um there's you know there's a lot of attention and care that he put in writing the script um to characters Mm -hmm. did he put attention and care into all of the aspects of writing the script maybe not but at least developing the characters yes yeah and there are some deleted scenes that i look at and like because i know a lot of people have said like oh all these are great there are some that i'm like no leaving this out was the right choice Honestly, there is, uh, uh, we'll talk about this later, but I, uh, th- I think in general, theatrical cut, fine, mm-hmm. don't, don't add back any of the stuff, at least the stuff that I've seen Yeah. Uh, that, that didn't make it. I do like knowing that Lovejoy was a Pinkerton. Um, <laughs> sure. Tracks. Tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, you know, things like the, um, the Fabrizio Helga, Helga romance, we don't need this. My, no. my thing is I don't need more Fabrizio in this movie. Um, yeah. He's he's, he's a, a spice used better used uh, sparingly. He's an Italian cartoon at times, yeah. and so like yeah. yeah. Um, but like things like even as much as I would love more Kate Winslet, I think the scene where she's like, you know, I don't want people to tell me what to do. My hands were made for work. I want to be like, she's so great in that, but it's not a great scene. It's terrible no. dialogue. No. The the stuff that he cut is is all lots of telling instead of showing. Very much. Um, and there's so much to show in this movie and, you know, mm-hmm. in this story that I I think that it, I think that it was the right decision. Yeah. So and as we're getting into our kind of free discussion rabbit holes, like I have in my notes, like I think a lot of the deleted scenes between Rose and Jack are quite fluffy. And what's interesting is like some people have said like, oh, this is too much of a whirlwind romance. We don't see them getting to know each other. Um, and yet I actually find it's worse if you put those deleted scenes in because then you just are seeing like three days worth of fluff, three days worth right. of nothing. And so I think keeping that up makes everything feel much more like breakneck speed. Cause, and there's this common criticism that like, oh, it's typical James Cameron, like the star is the art direction and the technical and the disaster scenes and not the love story. You know, the love story is just filled with cliches. In my thirties, I have really come around to defend the love story of this movie. Yes. 
Yes. I'm glad to hear that. I, yes. Yeah. I, I think, like I said, it's really helped by what they chose to delete. If they kept in a lot of those scenes, I might have said that, um, I, I might have said, like, yes, it's too much of a cliche. I do kind of wish you'd kept in the original scene in which they're singing the Come Josephine song, because um, that's a very cute little jiggy song and yes. a nice little moment between them. And that there's callbacks to it that did make the theatrical cut yeah. without them is, is I, I agree, that's the one, uh, spoiler alert to later in the episode <laughs> when we get to that, yeah. that's the one that I said I feel like uh, made made the most sense for them to have included if they did. Yeah. But again, three hours and 15 minutes. So It, it is. Um, I, I also think, like, so the performances and the chemistry of DiCaprio and Winsett, and, like, I love, as much as, like, Leo DiCaprio, also not a great guy, but it's like... no. He's, you know, he's a scumbag that hasn't done anything fully cancelable that we know of. That, that we, we know, know of. of. You know, he 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 dates him young, but he dates him legal, yeah. as far as we know. So he's a guy that will just be forever, like, raising our eyebrows at, but I'm just like, you're not quite at Brad Pitt level, and so I'm just like, oh, we just gotta kind of tolerate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, he's, he's become such a great actor mm-hmm. that it's... Uh, you know, I don't want to use that as, a, as an excuse for bad behavior. But again, like we're saying, his bad behavior is just kind of like dick bad boyfriendy stuff that like, as far as we know, is all fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, dick. But, you know, the Shelley Duvall fallacy. It's the Shelley Duvall fallacy. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like and um, I think I love hearing that they're still like the best of friends. I love still it's- hearing that they still have each other's backs, you know. Yeah, it's the best. He, I think I've read that he walked her down the aisle at one of her weddings or something. I, I love their friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the chemistry that the two of them have is is what carries it. And, and you say that the romance is kind of thin. And I agree, of course, it's, you know, it's less than 72 hours uh, mm-hmm. or, or however long. Uh, but I think that it works in sort of the, the Romeo and Juliet kind of way of... Uh, of it being so short. I think that the, you know, if you do sort of try to flesh it out a little more, then it almost becomes more apparent that how short it is. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if I'm articulating that well. But. No, I think that's it. Cause that's exactly how I feel about a lot of those deleted scenes. Um, yeah. And I also think like, uh, and I know that, it, that it was different in 1912, but they are teenagers. They are yes. teenagers. Yes. And, yeah, they're babies. And I remember thinking at the time watching this, like, this woman does not look 17. And then reading that she was 22 when she shot, which is not that much older. And no. so I'm just like, Kate Winslet has a face that looks like she's it, it both doll-like and seen some shit. Yeah, she has a, a, a more mature look to her, which, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure 17-year-olds in 1912 probably did because... Yeah you know childhood ended at what nine you know and then you had to start being a woman yeah um yeah she she was basically a child bride but um which is like the so one of the subtleties that and I didn't figure this out I had to read like someone else wrote this on like a message board or something um I so I will also say that I don't think of Titanic as a love story so much as I think of it as a coming of age story for Rose um but um there's some great subtleties in the love story that, again, this was pointed out to me. I'm not that smart. Um, 
but that Rose comes across actually as far more sexually experienced than Jack. And when you watch yeah. that sex scene, like she initiates everything. Yeah. He is a lot more nervous than she is. Um, and someone said like, Cal's line is my wife in practice, if not by law, which is heavily, apparently heavy, heavily implies that Rose is not a virgin. Um, which right. is scandalous in those days, obviously. Sure. So I, I kind of like that. Like Rose does, she's the one who tells him to draw her nude, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she's got a lot of agency in this and we see her develop and and learn how to take more through this story. And certainly, obviously, of course, at the end, she completely changes the course of her life based on circumstances, sure, but also that she makes this really brave decision to to start over, mm -hmm. um, especially given the trauma that she's just gone through. Yeah. Uh, is, is, you know, again, it's hard for me to sort of go back and watch and remember that she is so young that she's 17 because one like you said she she's styled to look like a grown-up lady mm -hmm. um but also because when i saw it she was older than me and so now watching it and being older than them by a lot uh makes it hard i'm like oh no she actually does look really young and i was wrong she doesn't look like a grown-up well i'm just old yeah and then yeah. i think like <laughs> 22 22 is still so young you 22 know 22 is so young you know who i would never want to spend time with sorry but a 22 year old like yeah yeah being stuck on a boat with a bunch of 22 year olds that sounds like my absolute living nightmare absolutely um so there's a, this brings me to like there's a really really simple reading of this movie it, it, like and this movie is not devoid of theme, but kind of the most basic theme is the arrogance of man. It's one of hubris, yeah. which I think is really ironic when James Cameron makes movies about the arrogance of man, which he yeah. loves to do. Yeah, he seems to sort of get it, but then not really. It's fascinating. I, I want to peek inside his brain. I bet you it's strange. Yeah. It, I, so I will admit I've actually not seen a single Avatar, so that is uh, a blind spot of mine, but... From what I do know of his work, he has a really, really healthy sense of self that uh, that works. But at the same time, then when you see him in interviews or award shows and you're like, oh, you don't turn that off, uh, seems really nightmarish. I think a lot of times, I don't remember which award show it was, but where... Um, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey said that they trusted Catherine Bigelow to make a movie about torture because any woman who was married to James Cameron must really understand that. 2012 uh, Oscars. Yeah, Very yeah. good. Well done. Wow. I, that was impressive. It's because I watched that with my student newspaper group. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. So... Uh, having recently seen a lot of James Cameron interviews because he was talking about the Titan disaster. And I'll say, like, it's amazing how much he knew about this. And, like, yes. he came across actually much better in those interviews than he ever has before. But um, <laughs> what I will say, and I have to be careful how I say this, but, like, I, I'm saying this because my father and brother are both this. I believe the term that the kids use these days is um, a touch of the tism. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that from him. And I'll also say, children of engineers, we get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so the, I think beyond like the kind of arrogance of man, and also it is largely about the arrogance of the wealthy. Um, yes. And even I found it interesting with the deleted scenes. They deleted some of the more humanizing scenes of the wealthy people. Um, yeah. You know, because a lot of them don't like come across as so silly during the disaster. Right. Um, you know, 
and there's even a few things that I feel like are symbolic of the collapse of the wealthy uh, that I'll get to later. But like, there's also a bit of a like very 101, but feminist thread in the movie. Like Rose is yeah. significantly more clever than Cal, even though in a deleted scene, we know that Cal went to Harvard. Um, well, yeah, I bet that means Cal's dad went to Harvard. Yeah, Cal, Cal got a rich daddy. <laughs> um, you know, Molly Brown is seen as very street smart. And I would say even um, Rose's mother, Ruth, she has this cynicism about her that is unignorable. Like her line about like, of course, our choices are never easy. We're women. Like that is the yes. concrete proof that there is a lot about the kind of feeling, feeling trapped being a woman yes. on this. Um, and, um, you know, this is why, like, spoiler alert, but I'm a bit of a fan of the alternate of uh, the alternate ending um, okay. and learning about just like Rose talking about how she, you know, was so poor when she when she left Titanic, and we get a little bit of her making her own life, and so yeah, yeah I, I think there's it, very 101. You know, but hey, we're living in a post-Barbie society, so I'm used. I'm seeing everyone getting all hopped up on feminism 101 <laughs> right now. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. I mean, it, you know. And it's such an interesting thing from this because uh, historically Titanic is sort of such a, you know, most of the survivors were women. Mm-hmm. And I reading about it, so much of the survivors' accounts for so long were not believed because they were women. Mm-hmm. And they just assumed, oh, these women are hysterical because of what they went through and because they're women. And so this is wrong. They didn't believe that the ship had cracked in half for a long time. Um, so I think tying that to it, uh, makes so much sense because there is so much of that in the history of the um, the actual story that lending it to it uh, feels like a nice uh, companion piece. Yeah, sort of. Absolutely. So all that said, I was a second VHS girly. Um, <laughs> there were a few times when like my comfort watch as a kid was just taking out the second VHS. Yeah. Um, I love the disaster scenes, but I just want to talk about what some of our favorite shots or favorite scenes are, especially as a kid. Because one, uh, there's one that I want to point to for me, and I think it was the final interior shot of the Titanic before it actually sank. And that was when water is just ripping through the one hallway. You see the stateroom doors burst open because as a kid, it reminded me of a monster movie. And, you know, it was a shot in which Cameron really made the water a monster. And then similarly, in one of the very next shots, as the ship starts to lift out of the water it's also very monster movie and that was I think one of the things that like again I went down a disaster movie rabbit hole after this I didn't get into period pieces or love stories I went out and watched Dante's Peak after this it is a really unique uh almost sort of by itself uh prestige disaster film is is sort of the way that I was referring to it in my notes that I think we kind of thought might be more of a thing afterwards. I think that's really what Michael Bay was aiming for with Pearl Harbor, um, which I don't think was successful and I don't think anyone else thinks it was successful. Um, But it is, uh, it's it's a disaster movie. It's a monster movie. I remember seeing the 2006 uh, Poseidon adventure, which is not good. Um, but thinking, wow, this looks so much like Titanic because yeah. it turns out when boats sink, it looks like the first boat I ever saw sink, which is Titanic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and, and I'll say right off the bat, no one has to feel sorry for, for me for this because he was kind of a dick, but I have an uncle who drowned to di- mm. d- okay. die by drowning. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. And like I said, I, I don't think he would have known me on the street, despite the fact that we lived in the same town. So we were not mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. But 
when I found that out, I mean, first thing I did was call my dad and say, like, are you okay? But I was, it, I was haunted for days. Because oh, yeah. I'm just like, it's, he drowned. Like, it's a horrifying way to go. And, and, and that's what, you know, I understand when there are people who are like, no, I cannot watch that movie because you're watching hundreds of people die in one of the most horrific ways that a human mm. can die. And it's tough. That's why, like, I prefer almost like monster movie style shots of the, you know, the stuff ripping through and it almost doesn't seem real to like one of the most horrifying scenes that I have a hard time watching even to this day is when the water's rising in the grand staircase and people are just trying to not like, oh, it, it's horrifying yeah. because it's it's too real to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many of the when they're trying to escape the different water levels rising coming out of an elevator you know it is it's haunting them it's pull you know it is a monster and it's uh you know there's so much of that in james cameron's work that you can sort of see of course this would be why he was interested in this and what he wanted to do but there's also so much of the other stuff that it turns out he was so interested in as well mm -hmm. um that that it's it's such a Again, I don't really want to have a, much of a conversation with James Cameron, but if I were to, it would be all about Titanic and, you know, not so much about true lies or anything else like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I will also add the use of sound design throughout the disaster scenes, top notch. I actually think Titanic is one of the best sound movies I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. one really bad ADR line, one bad ADR line in the whole thing, <laughs> and that's Cal yelling, you'll swamp us. That is so, that is so from yeah. a booth. But yeah. the sound of the bolt snapping on the smokestack when it yeah. first, that like, is something that has weirdly stayed rent-free in my head since the age of seven. Yeah. There's a lot of wood cracking noises that just, you sort of realize, oh, yeah, that's what would have to happen. It would sound like breaking wood because this wooden ship is breaking. Mm -hmm. And then another one that I just want to call out in terms of favorite shots is the shot of the dishes falling. Um, that's yes. always been, and also I find it such an interesting shot as a kid, it struck me because I realized half this ship is underwater. You've got several levels that are fully submerged and this half of the, of the ship is still bone dry, which yeah. is yeah. crazy to me, but, yeah. um, it's a beautifully symbolic shot of the crumbling of luxury. And yeah. then just like, cause it's really hard to like, you know, when something's tilting, you just, you tilt the camera. But the right. things they did to emphasize the angle, the acting, yeah. um, you know, the sounds of people smacking things, like yes. you feel so tense and that is yes. the perfect shot for it. Yeah, the, the plate scene is interesting because if I'm remembering correctly, that was one of the ones that was this famous holdup that he, he needed to have the right plates. They needed to match the plates oh on the God. Titanic. And so then when you do watch that scene and they, all you see is them break, you're like, that's what you held up thing? This is another thing that is, is interesting about the movie is the making of it was apparently just so awful yeah. for so many reasons. I mean, and obviously the obvious reasons of you're spending most of your time in a pool or whatever, and that's uncomfortable and cold and awful. But then there's also the story about them all being drugged at the at one of the cast dinners right. uh, where they were all accidentally given PCP. I think that's <laughs> still an unsolved mystery. Uh, at least they never released to the public who who did that. So uh, I, you know what? I'm gonna bet it's that weird non-actor who <laughs> um, James Cameron's friend who played the uh, Keldish crew guy who just spent the entire time like all the script yelling at Gloria Stewart. <laughs> 
Yeah, he. I tried finding out more information about this guy, and the only thing on his IMDb trivia is that he submitted a script for Freddy versus Jason, <laughs> which I love. I will say, I could identify for some reason, eight year old, seven to eight year old me, I could identify with this guy on a spiritual level as a kid, and I still don't know why. But I look at that, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of my aesthetic, like walking into every room in my big jeans, looking like a total mess, and just being a bit of a vulgar ass before I realize what my audience is. <laughs> He's so mean to that old lady. He's <laughs> so rough and and boy he comes off a lot worse than the deleted scenes oh too. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. <laughs> One of those I find funny, but it's the one where he's like, you're going to kill yourself on the Titanic. Why didn't you just wait two days? I'm like, <laughs> this is really smart to cut. This was the meanest thing. It's so awful. He's so terrible to this 100-year-old woman. Yeah. Oh, man. I Can we just appreciate Gloria Stewart for a moment? She is fantastic. I have to admit that it took until I was about mm, 18 to realize that Gloria Stewart and Gloria Swanson were two different people. <laughs> so whenever people would talk about Gloria Swanson, thank God I never contributed. Yeah, and she's so good in Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I was sure that Gloria Swanson was really good in Titanic. No, she wasn't. For what it's worth, <laughs> I haven't seen Gloria Stewart in anything else. I do know her pretty much entirely as the old lady from Titanic. Yes. Um, but I know that Cameron had specifically sought out someone who was not a current actress, someone who had had a career. And right. in the pre back when they used to call them the pictures. Um, <laughs> what I have always found is that I don't necessarily see her and Winslet. Like, I feel like... These days, people make a huge deal when you've got two actors playing the same character. And God help me, for some reason, the only example I can think right now is Zac Efron and Matthew Perry in Seventeen again. But, like, that is a really good, not a great movie. I, I, I could go off on how good I think that they did of a job of that. But but yeah. we're not here for a Seventeen Again podcast, so I'll, I'll rein myself in. I love that movie, unironically. Zac um, Efron is so much of a better actor than we give him credit for. He really is. But, like, these days you, you always see, like, and uh, I'll say this. Titanic was marketed a lot. I feel like the marketing for this movie would be out of control if it were made in 2023. We would have it, to hear... It would be it would put Barbie to shame, yeah. We would have to hear so fucking much about the process, uh, James yeah. Cameron's process. Like, yeah. most of this we only, I don't want to say we only learned after, but, like, because this was the day, these were the days before anyone could read trade magazines online. Right, exactly. Like, I, I did pick up on a lot of this, like, making of trivia and stuff like that by watching Entertainment Tonight mm -hmm. when it was on as they aired it because there was no other way to watch it. Yeah. You know, this was a very slow time for media in comparison to where we are now. 100%. Like, you know, I, I mean, I used to write for an entertainment trade. I know how quickly, enter and that's why entertainment trades aren't really just trades anymore. They're essentially consumer publications now because mm -hmm. everyone loves to read them. And so I feel like the marketing for this would have been out of control. And we would have probably had to hear so much about Gloria Stewart and Kate Winslet spending all this time together. Sure. Like, but it also makes me think if they were making this today, what we would probably do is, is age up uh, with CGI Kate Winslet. Oh. And, you know, yeah, Gloria Stewart and Kate Winslet don't look too much like each other mm -hmm. but see how it's totally fine that they play the same person it and is. your mind is able to adjust to that and say oh okay I understand that two actors are playing the same person weird how that worked and we'll never do it ever again yeah <sighs> but I mean I digress 
I, I found like it's something about their energy and their performance doesn't necessarily match for me, although they're both wonderful performances. But I also think, right. first of all, it has helped that we don't get that much old Rose in the movie. So it is right. never at any point distracting. Um, right. I think also we have to keep in mind that a huge reason why they don't have the same spiritedness is because Rose is so fucking broken in the 1912 right. scenes. And she is a happy, free woman in yes. the 1995 scenes. Yes, she's also physically, you know, a 22-year-old version of yourself is not the same as a 100-year-old version of yourself. Yeah. You're a different person. You would carry yourself differently because physically your body is totally different. Mm -hmm. You know, these these things. uh, Yeah, it turns out it works to cast actors who are the age that you want them to play. Yeah. Weird. I mean, they did have to age her up quite a bit because I think she was right. only in her 80s. Um, yes, I, I do think that's true. Um, and it's makeup, I think, and not uh, anything computer generated because I don't know that we had that technology back then. Well, as I was reading, because I oh, was... Oh, am I wrong? Okay. Not for, not for Old Rose, though. There is a scene, as we're talking about, you know, favorite shots and favorite scenes. There's a shot during the disaster. I will also say the disaster scenes... The one kind of retroactive critique I have of this movie is they keep throwing little things to keep Jack and Rose on the sinking ship. Like, oh, like it was when they dropped the key to get yeah. past the gate that I'm just like, this is too much. Sometimes this it does feel much. a little video gamey, mm-hmm. like you're waiting for them to get to the final level of, of above. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so there's one scene in which they are running away from rushing water and the lights are flashing. And mm-hmm. that is one of, I, again, I just know this because I was... Hunting, hunting down trivia. One of the <laughs> first major commercial examples of digital face replacement. Oh, okay. And I remember this scene in particular, watching this, and even as a kid, and thinking, why do they look so hideous? I, I had the, yes, I know you exactly which it. scene you're watching about. Yes, because yes, 100%. And it does look weird. It looks like all of a sudden you're like, are their faces melting off? I nope. think. I guess I didn't see that right. I think what it is is that like, and stunt double, stunt doubling is a very interesting thing. Again, stunt doubles are a huge, um, a huge group that is affected uh, in these current SAG negotiations. You know, yes. thank, thank stunt doubles. Um, one of my old studio owners was a professional stunt double um, oh, as wow. well, working and, and still working as well as being a dance teacher. So like, I learned mm. a lot about the world of stunt doubles. But one of the things is stunt doubles often the biggest thing is they do not have the same shaped head as head shapes are incredibly distracting yeah and that mainly works with stunt work because you're only seeing someone from the side or from the back but like because head shapes are very unique um of course i think what it is is that the stunt double over which they are pasting kate winslet's face she has a much longer more oval shaped head and so it causes her to look quite it's the one shot in the movie where she looks quite homely and i'm like oh that's such a weird shot of her and then you know it was in its infancy so their faces are incredibly flat on these on these stunt doubles it's very strange and unsettling yes and you just you know at least watching it the other night i was was like well i guess this must just be I don't know. I I forgot that there could have been that sort of technology in in the 90s um, that they would have possibly done that. Yeah, I was like, oh, weird, the lights, or maybe they like slowed it down in a weird way to like make (laughs) the water look weird and it turned out to mess with their faces. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know that I know that they had to slow down the shot of the um, of the smokestack falling and crushing Fabrizio yes, yes. because and this is a deleted scene I couldn't find but that that wasn't originally how he died that Cal bludgeoned him to death with an oar 
Oh, God. Horrifying. <laughs> oh, God. I have not heard that. And I'm so glad that that's not anywhere on film. I hope that that film is lost and yeah. gone. Yeah. Like, poor Danny Nucci. Like, Fabrizio just goes through everything in, in this Fabrizio movie. has a real rough time, and he's such a cartoon, and he's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, I'd be uh, to ask if I didn't ask what some of if you have any other favorite shots that you wanted to talk about. You know, I just uh, I love the one that you get when it's sort of pulling away and she's talking about how it's the last time that there's ever daylight. Mm. That is such a beautiful shot. I you know, I don't know if it's actually dusk as it's happening if if he filmed at the right time I don't know but it looks it, he did a real good job making it look like that that's the one that kind of sticks out to me mm-hmm. if I'm thinking of like specific shots I'm a real sucker um, for sunsets these days yeah, yeah. they're great <laughs> my uh, my <laughs> husband grew up along the like eastern shores of Lake Huron so always okay. every freaking night of your life seeing a sunset over Lake Huron yeah I'm just like oh man I grew up in the that's, most landlocked region so yeah I grew up in, in Miami, as I mentioned. Yeah. So, um, you know, you get a lot of sunrises, but not so many sunsets. But okay. then you go down to Key West, and it's the only place in Florida where you can watch the sunset into the water, and it's fantastic. That's fascinating. I don't know yeah. nearly enough about Florida. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, you can see the... No, I was totally wrong. It's in southern Florida. There's yeah. a west coast of Florida that I don't want to be pretending is not there. I'm wording that wrong. <laughs> Sorry, oh, west coast no, of Florida. Oh, no, I'm going to alienate the Florida demographic. I, that and all know, the things I've said about the Florida Panthers. They're going through <laughs> They're going through a lot right now. Yeah. I, I at least want to not be getting their sunsets wrong. Hundo P. Um, but so <laughs> one of the things we always talk about in this episode is like, what is the modern equivalent? And... In the past, like past episodes have been hard because I've been like, oh, we don't really make teen movies anymore. And really like the existential crisis I went through when I realized we don't make sports movies anymore. We made, we (laughs) used to make so many sports movies and then they just ground to a halt. But like, you know, and I talk modern as in like anything within the last 10 years, like the streaming era, anything that has like similar excitement and similar experiences. But like, can there be another, the, the short answer is, is there another Titanic? No. Yeah. Uh, no, no, there isn't. Yeah. The closest I wondered, and it's actually not even one that I've seen, but I've figured based on what I know of it and the story, I wondered if it's the closest is The Impossible from 2004 about the Indian Ocean tsunami with Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. I don't even um, think I've heard of this movie. My gosh. It, it exists. And Tom Holland is is a baby in it. He's one of their, their children. Oh. I have. It's one of those movies that I have seen like 15 second clumps of on TikTok. So I've seen probably like a good 30 minutes of the movie, but just not in the right order and on my phone. That's all TikTok, TikTok is now. And it, it's the weirdest. The, the, the movie watching on TikTok experience is so strange and so awful. It is how <laughs> I finally got to watch Devil Wears Prada. So I can't be entirely mad at it. Hey, OK. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, but no, like it's it's hard to point to something that isn't a James Cameron movie because you could very easily right. say like the Avatar films because like. Again, no one does epics like James Cameron. Um, yeah. And the way you can appreciate his movies on an entertainment level, but also appreciate like the work that goes into them. Um, you know, it's real gifted kid shit. Um, yeah. But like, 
even with the Avatar movies, I think by that point, people were a lot more harsher on the non-action elements of Cameron's movies, like his love stories or coming-of-age stories, like everything being very half-baked. Avatar didn't get labeled as a chick flick, which you'd think would have helped it. Um, yeah. I have a lot of people dazzled by the romance plot, but like maybe because of that, da- like, and again, this is why people need to admit that the romance in Titanic is good because Avatar is so famously considered not a memorable movie that like, right. you know, oh, no Everyone one forgets what happens in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I do think of things that drew people in as far as pop culture moments go, two movies come to mind. Both are very different. One, the aforementioned Barbie. Um, yeah, I think Barbie has been marketed very smartly. It's a movie that shows so much care and love for its subject matter, which obviously right. it has in common. And, you know, if you agree that the critic like the feminism message of Barbie is very 101, which it is. And I'm not expecting any better. It's the Barbie movie. <laughs> um, but I think there's like sort of parallel with what people say about Titanic. Like, oh, yeah, it's great. But this, you know, this part could have been written by a 17 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another like more recent movie, although I'm realizing this isn't that recent because this is a movie that Jared and I went to for our first official date. So I mean, the closest I got was 2004. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, um, but it does fall within 10 years. Technically, this was nine okay. years ago. Interstellar. Yeah. Um, because I did say Gravity, and then I realized Gravity is more than 10 years old. Yeah. And I actually think Interstellar is the stronger movie than Gravity, although I like Gravity. I love it. So, so those are two movies I haven't seen. And this is something where I can say Titanic is actually, uh, an outlier. I have a lot of, I get terrible motion sickness. So, uh, boat movies, sometimes really hard when Dunkirk was coming out, those previews of Dunkirk were just by themselves making (laughs) me sick. Space travel movies also can't handle really. So I have not seen interstellar or gravity, but I, I'm sure that, that they make sense in terms of, of this. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things and the one aspect in which I think Interstellar comes up short is um, like and where Titanic succeeds succeeds is that even though Titanic is such a big screen movie, it is so rewatchable in the rec room. That's why this is on Tales from the Rec Room, baby. Um, (laughs) Interstellar, I have not even had an urge to watch it since that first, that lovely first date with with an enterprising young fellow named Jared Daly. Um, That's so cute. Yeah, and like, I I loved Interstellar. I loved it. I thought the performances were great. And yet, I think a lot of people criticized this at the time. It's not a movie that was made for anything but the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. But very similar idea of like yes pun intended shooting for the moon and really Mm -hmm. sparing no expense um and having a beautiful attention to detail and pulling people like some people will go because like woo big space go boom but then you have this (laughs) lovely story that you get really attached to and that was that was in the age where like you couldn't stop seeing Matthew McConaughey everywhere because everyone just realized he could act. Right. Like, yes. If, I, th- I believe he was also at one point in consideration for Jack. He was. And also yes. in consideration for Cal. Oh, interesting. OK. I, I, I would love to see him sound posh. Yeah. Because like he's stopped yeah. trying to sound like anything but McConaughey. I, I bet it doesn't work as well as <laughs> it should. No. You know, I was going to do because I've done so many like let's recast this for 2023. And I had to not with this because <laughs> I don't know who the young stars are. I just need to admit that. I so I've listened to other episodes and knew that was coming. So I did take some notes in case you were asking. Oh, I would love uh, to know. So so I said for Jack. 
I said Timothy Chalamet, which is maybe kind of the obvious answer because he's sort of the next cheekbones actor that we've gotten <laughs> since Leonardo DiCaprio. No, um, but it's but a good who choice. I also, who I think would be really good because I just watched him. So it's Taron Egerton. He's a little too old for it. That mm. was what I put. Um, which is crazy because I feel like he was just the baby and the king's men like yesterday and now he's already too old for things. Mm -hmm. But I watched him in, in Tetris and uh, the other day, which was fine. But he's developing as an actor sort of a Leonardo DiCaprio energy about him. So I think he could have been a really interesting, um, you know, his role in Tetris feels very much like uh, Leo in Catch Me If You Can in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that I think could have been interesting to see. Yeah. But again, he's... he's it's, if, if we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio not looking 17 in this movie, boy, Taron Egerton cannot look 17 <laughs> these days, which is fine because he's still 15 years younger than I am. Yeah. Um, and then uh, for Rose, there's an actress who I love, Odessa Young. She's Australian. She was in the Staircase TV show. Oh. And she was in, yes. And she was in a movie that I loved, loved, loved that uh, I don't think ended up getting enough attention called Mothering Sunday. If you can find it I anywhere. I've never heard of this, but I'll look it up. Oh, it's so good. I loved it. I wanted it to be this. I, it, it, it felt like atonement and I wanted it to be the next atonement. And then it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I was sad. But she'd be a great rose. I think if this were 10 years ago, I would say Emma Watson would be a great rose. Yeah. Um, Probably she's the one that everyone thinks of because she has that like English rose look. Um, but right. I would also say um, a young actress who was in Knives Out, uh, Catherine Langford, also an Australian actress. Oh, okay. She sure, yeah, yeah. has that like porcelain doll looking face. Yes. And yeah. um, she's also very, very funny and witty. And because yeah. like that's the thing, Rose is a witty, kind of biting, like clever yeah, girl. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I don't, when I was thinking of roses, I don't know that I was thinking sort of porcelain doll, but more like. Beatrice and Much Ado About Nothing mm -hmm. and, you know, these these Shakespeare sort of brassy to the extent that anyone could be brassy at the time during Shakespeare's times. That Those sort of actors who I think uh, is, is what I think that Kate Winslet is doing so well at that point in her career uh, that would have been interesting to see transfer if we were ever remaking it mm -hmm. which i don't think we should do no no um, not at all no. <laughs> like there are there are again better things to be spending our money on um, i mean as as we mentioned speaking of recent news trying to redo titanic doesn't work out so well <laughs> oh my God. pop can death um for, uh, for my american listeners soda can death yes. um uh, pop works in this in this situation. Um, there are parts of the U.S. that will call it pop. My mom grew I, up calling it pop. I so, learned yeah. that recently, and I feel yeah. not so weird. Um, I will <laughs> say also in this uh, fictitious recasting, Billy Zane is still Cal. Um, yes, of course. Yes. But you know what? That scene in Zoolander, he looks really good with a buzzed head. He does, like, yeah. yeah. I think bald is a better look for him than, than the hair that he's got. I mean, the hair that he's got in this movie is of course period appropriate or at least more period appropriate yeah. than bald would have been. Uh, yeah. But okay. So yeah, I, I vote bald too. <laughs> so we have made it to the lightning round. I, I got to do the sound every time, even though it's terribly annoying. Um, <laughs> no, it's not a terribly <laughs> annoying, and I love it, so continue. I am a walking shock jock. Um, so <laughs> we've brought back the Titanic lightning round in which we have, a, in which we harness the power of approximately two brain cells for rapid fire <laughs> answers, and they're never rapid fire. Uh, whose performance do you think is stronger, Winslet's or DiCaprio's? I picked Winslet, uh, if anything, just because we get more of her alone than we do of him. Mm -hmm. Or at least not alone, but a good amount of it alone uh, on the on the door. But yeah. Yeah, I think 
I, I, I would agree with you. I think she really is the star. Like I said, I think this is very clearly Rose's movie, and I think it was always right. intended to be. What I will say, though, is as much as I sometimes think like Leo is at times a prop in this movie, when I was watching this last night, I'm like, who else could have done Jack? I don't he, know. He it- he is really good yeah. in this. And and it, this was a hard question to answer because I do think you could make the argument for either of them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can't, you know, what is this movie without Leonardo DiCaprio? I, I, it's not, we're certainly not talking about it 20 years later on a, on a podcast. No, so, yeah. no, Jeremy Sisto could never. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so who's your supporting cast MVP? Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. Man, do I love Molly Brown. Yeah. Always going to be Kathy Bates. Oh, I just thought, uh, I just remembered another uh, deleted scene. I'm very glad they deleted, but I'll share, I'll save that. Um, I was going to say Kathy Bates. I am going to give a big one, though, to Bernard Hill. Um, okay. Not only because, like, yes, he looks like E.J. Smith a lot. Yeah. Um, however, I think also, and I didn't even realize until more recent watches, just how incredibly despondent he is as the yes. captain during, um, like, he actually is kind of a mess, during yeah. it and he's not responding to people he's blank face and he i think yes. bernard hill plays that insanely insanely well yeah the, it's a really fantastically rounded out supporting cast of characters everyone who works on the ship all of that you yeah absolutely mm-hmm. they're all great um i will also say um the guy who in the uh initial like we're trying to get the ship to turn from the iceberg the foreman who drops his cup of tea and yells full astern he oscar (laughs) yeah i i also uh if if we're talking one-liners uh my favorite are uh jack and fabrizio's scandinavian roommates who who when they come bursting in go where's sven (laughs) yeah they're great i love it so much so what i hope they survived i'm sure they don't what is an inanimate object in the film besides the titular ship that you think deserves an oscar for its efforts Le Cour de la Mer, the, the, the necklace, mm-hmm. uh, for looking both incredible but also hideous at the same time. It's mm. so gaudy and so, of course, would a man like um, the, the Bill Paxton character would be obsessed with finding. And it's uh, hideous but also, of course, stunning and beautiful and looks like it would be really uncomfortable to wear mm. like she says it was what i find funny is that when i was eight years old i thought this was the classiest thing i'd ever seen oh of <laughs> course yes no this was not if, if you had asked me at 13 i would have been like well that's the most beautiful necklace i've ever seen in the world there is no more beautiful piece of jewelry than the heart of the ocean what are you talking mm. about and now i'm like hondo p <laughs> um so um my non-serious answer is kate winslet's hair which i'm pretty sure was a wig so therefore inanimate yeah. object yeah but i will say there's um i I love anytime you can use objects to like it's it's a cheap thing but using objects to show like disaster is near and there's a scene of teacups rattling and it is again a brilliant moment of sound design as well Um, and just the very like there's there's not too much spice on that and so I say like the white star line dishes the teacups like those are all used very very brilliantly and they're very very delicate and so I love that. Yeah, I will also give, we have to give it up for the door that she <laughs> survives on is yes. probably another one. And this wasn't on the lightning round question, but do you think that Jack could have fit? Do you, this Fun is the big question. fact, I originally <laughs> did have this as a question. I thought, no, this is too silly. Um, I think they, because they said on Mythbusters, oh, he could have fit. But what they never determined on Mythbusters is, would the he have sank it? They start to capsize. Yeah. Yes. I they try. That said, if she took off her life vest and put it under the door, then they could have both mm-hmm. survived. But that feels like a lot of physics to be asking 
these people to pull out uh, in the middle of tragedy. So mm-hmm. no, people who say that he could have fit are wrong. Mm-hmm. It would have capsized. Yep. So what is your favorite deleted scene or one that you really wish they'd kept in? You know, again, I'm not a fan of the deleted scenes, but I will say the Come Josephine one is cute. And again, they have just like the best chemistry. And especially because it's something that gets referenced later. She's singing it on the door. Mm-hmm. I think he sings it to her, too. Um, you know, without without knowing that, you're just like, oh, OK, I guess this is the song that's stuck in her head as she's on the door. Well, um, I do. I, I try to remember. I'm like, where's the other time we hear it? It's when he has her up in the I'm flying scene. That's where it is. But yes, it okay. gets lost in that scene because of yes. the I'm flying. Right. Yes. Um. So I love the Come Josephine scene, but I am going to give it up to one of my favorite characters who isn't a character. Like I said, this is a character that they they largely cut out. Um, and that is, um, uh, I, I thought initially he was a Frenchman, and so I thought his name was pronounced Charles Joulin, but it's uh, Charles Jockin. He mm-hmm. was um, the chief baker on the Titanic, and he oh, okay. has a fascinating story um, because uh, he was seen, and they, they wrote him into this scene, he was seen by multiple eyewitnesses as being on, on the back of the Titanic. He was the last person to go down with it. And, um, and you see the chef character, you know, he's drinking from his flask. There's a scene in which in, it's, you, you kind of blink and you miss it. You have to be looking for it. But uh, at the beginning of the sinking, he is throwing deck chairs overboard. He's doing this so that people will have a flotation device. And that's a uh, real thing that happened. And I yeah. just think of all the fascinating crew members and stuff. I also think uh, there weren't scenes written for him, but the priest who was praying yeah. with people until oh, the moment gosh. they died. Th- that all that and the musicians, mm-hmm. those are the ones that... I'll be watching it and I'll be cynical and I'm like, I've seen this so many times, I'm not going to cry. Yeah. But then the priest and the musicians will get me every time. Notably, the priest and the musicians and I think Jockin are the only second class passengers we see in the movie. Um, yeah. th- the stories of so many of the passengers on the Titanic are so interesting. I, you know, if any of this is sparking interest in anyone listening, you know, go on these Wikipedia rabbit holes. There are so many interesting people. Violet Jessup is another one who, yes, that's a fascinating one Mm -hmm. who also then went on to survive like multiple major shipwrecks. Uh, Yeah. That is the luck of the Irish baby. Um. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So many great stories. And, and you, and you're right. It is nice that he did try to give them some moments here and there. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is supposed to be a lightning round. And now I'm like telling people about Wikipedia. rabbit holes. This is the the lightning. lightning. (laughs) It is not. That's the Clone High episode. Uh, the lightning Perfect. round always turns into the tar pit round, but I love that. Um, okay. <laughs> no, because I was going to say a, a kind of runner up is another uh, real people whose stories we don't get to know, but we do see a, a little note of them is the Strausses. Um, yes. As they're oh, saying, like, you know, we've been together 84 years, but I do think with what they leave in, we get that idea. It's just that you don't know who they are. Yeah, it's lovely enough, but and and you will hear maybe it's sort of uh, in New York because we're we're at the Macy's right. headquarters, I've, I've, or not headquarters, maybe the flagship store. It, yeah. Flagship is the word that I was looking for. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people sort of seem to say, "Oh, you know that the people on the Titanic are the Macy's people." <laughs> yeah. So I think I think there's some sort of uh, knowledge of that being them, which which I'm glad. Mm-hmm. You know, they deserve credit for their their story it's so lovely beautiful shot beautiful shot i will say that irish mother tucking her kids into bed that actually fucked me up as again james cameron writing irish people to kill them um but that fucked me up as a child because that was my first realization that children could die yeah that was my girl for me Mm. and that one still messes with me yeah yeah um so 
I think we both know the answer to this, and I'm really excited for the <laughs> op- for the binary oppositions. Do you prefer the alternate ending or the theatrical one? I gotta say, theatrical for me. I just I think that the amount that we have the Bill Paxton character in the theatrical cut is the right amount. I think it lets it be the story of the Titanic while sort of framing it with the the James Cameron stand-in and sort of you know his his way of saying you know I didn't let it in, I didn't understand it. I think that that works perfectly and as as much as I need of that guy and certainly his friends and his buddies I don't want any more of them so that's that's the problem with the 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 deleted ending for me I have to say with the deleted ending where else am I gonna hear someone yell at Gloria Stewart hey that really sucks lady I know I know (laughs) it's so mean but I like you're not supposed to agree with him you know like of course of course yes we're not supposed to be on their sides I get it yeah I I kind of, what I love, what I do love about that scene is I love how in control Rose is and how she's just like, don't come any closer. Like, motherfuckers. Um, It has real motherfuckers energy. I do think it's also a little cliche the way she tells Brock, like, you look for treasure in the wrong places. But at the same time, that is the kind of shit that old people say to us. And I, I guess I just like that it gives Rose a minute to actually make a declaration for herself. And yeah, and yes we're telling and not showing but i don't know i i love that rose gets to kind of have her last word yes yeah and i will say even though we're telling and not showing the way instead that we show has always been sort of ridiculous to me i was like why is this woman traveling with so many photos of herself just outlining her entire life yeah i don't know i know we used to travel with photos in a different way than we do now because of phones but Mm -hmm. that always felt a little excessive there's a lot of frames there and she's not at home the only thing that i really don't like about the theatrical or about the alternate ending is i don't like that they try to wedge in like some beta couple shit for her her granddaughter and brock like they're getting weirdly flirty and i'm just like you are talking about your centenarian grandmother's trauma of the Titanic. You do not need to be getting with this treasure hunter. Yeah, I guess considering that the actress ended up being the next and current Mrs. James Cameron uh, is perhaps part of what inspired that to happen, uh, maybe inspired him to cut it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so also with regards to the theatrical ending, I have a bone to pick with some of the online contrarians, the people who say like, oh, you know, the fact that, you know, Rose, you know, the grand staircase, if the grand staircase is heaven for her, how insulting is it that she, you know, was married to this man for like married to another man for like 50 years. And the first thing she does when she gets to heaven is she goes and sees Jack. What a slap in the face. What I will say is that do people not understand? First of all, it's a fucking movie. But um, right. This is a memory that I think we're supposed to largely feel like she repressed. She says, I never told anyone about Jack, not even your grandfather. Right. And so I do like to think if there's a heaven, there's like, yeah, I might want to go to my repressed memories and like all the good things that you lock away and stuff. Yeah. You know, because she is going back to all the people who were kind to her on the Titanic. And so I love the idea of like, she is finally free and she can sleep and think about this for the first time. I think that's a lovely thing. So yeah, and that it's not just the two of them. There are so many other people there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I every time I watch it, I try to find another person that I recognize in in the crowd. It's it's a fantastic one because, like I said, this movie's pretty nice to some of the rich people. There's another great deleted scene: um, uh, Guggenheim or Astor looking for his dogs um, because he doesn't want the dogs to die alone. Oh (sighs) man, 
I do not like <laughs> thinking about the fact that there were dogs in the Titanic. Let's, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it at all. Yeah, no, as someone who exactly a week ago went through a pet death, it's not yeah. something I need to be talk- thinking about. No. Um, no. Well, let's move on then. Yep. Um, uh, so... Um, Let's say you wanted to add in a couple of d- deleted scenes. Let's let's sneak in come Josephine. What's something you get rid of in the finished film to keep the runtime at a solid 315? So again, as I'm mentioning, the the Bill Paxton and his buddies is is my least favorite part of the movie. Mm. I understand why we need them and I do think we need them in a little. But I think having the buddy Lewis tell you everything that you're about to see in the movie, I get it. And it's probably the right decision, but we could also just watch the movie and find out what happens, you know? Yeah. So it would be that part for me. There are aspects of this movie that are about as subtle as a block of, uh, as, <laughs> as a bat over the head. And yeah. um, I think like, I get that they're doing it to display that like, oh, he's so insensitive and he doesn't understand the human aspect. Right. Exactly. Again, we're, we're telling, not showing. Wait. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not a fan. Um, I would also say like, you could, I know he got a lot cut down you could essentially cut down the entire character of Fabrizio and I wouldn't yeah. be mad. I just, yeah. every line that they put in this guy's mouth, I'm like, you know, far be it from me to make defending Italians my thing. You know, again, right. I'm just here for the Irish. But <laughs> has James Cameron ever met an Italian person? Like, God, just, exactly. I come to America. Oh, no, listen to yourself. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. He doesn't we have could, a lot of... We could of, definitely have a little bit less of him. He doesn't that's, have that's a lot a of call. agency. Like, he doesn't have a personality beyond I go to America. And right. the additional scenes with his little um, Norwegian girlfriend, it doesn't help. It doesn't no, add to I, that either. It really doesn't. Yeah. It just sort of extrapolates how little character there is mm-hmm. of him and just makes it longer yeah so um and i'll give myself the caveat that i'm not allowed to say anything fabrizio says for this question um but what's a line or a line reading that makes you cringe so there's two Mm -hmm. and the one so i'm the king of the world would have probably been fine it's still pretty cringy but i probably would have been okay with it if james cameron didn't use it at the oscars when he won then it's just (laughs) now it's the worst and it makes me but what i don't like more than that is I'm flying and it just it doesn't it, it you know I I I think they're trying for a note that they probably do land and I'm sure I thought it worked at 13 but every time I've heard it since then I'm just like oh this is kind of dumb we don't need it we just need her yeah. smiling and laughing exactly you know? yeah um I, I also think like again I saw this a couple months after it had it hit so like it was all again it was already a meme it was already right. something we were making yes. fun of Yes. Um, you had probably heard I'm flying and I'm the king of the world already by the time you saw it. And yeah. I think a lot of people mixed ended up mixing those two up, which is you don't need <laughs> yes. two people shouting things from the from the ship uh, scenes. Yeah. You don't. You, yeah. Sorry. Um, they could both get cut and I'd be fine with it. Yeah. Honestly. I will say I have a specific. I really don't like when movies, especially like historical fiction and stuff, uh, wink at you. And so oh, I think I know exactly what line you're going to say. And I agree Picasso, as well. He'll never amount uh, to anything. Yep. yep. Um, well, which, my notes for that line yeah. just say, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of, I don't know if you saw Oppenheimer uh, last week. I but, haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So there's, it, it just, it's fine. It's fine. I think yeah. Nolan's done better, but um, yeah. it's, there's like the, oh yeah, some young center on the boat, something Kennedy, like y- yeah. you get it, you get it. Yeah. Um, those, those are always a little obnoxious. Sometimes it works for me if I'm in it and I'm having a good enough time, mm-hmm. but 
Uh, and I'm sure at 13, the Picasso line, I was like, oh my God, it's so funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think like I would have liked if there were more emphasis on Monet because you do actually see the Monet come yes. back around because Jack yes. is like, oh my God, you know his work? I love him. And yes. you actually, then you remember that, oh yes, Rose has an appreciation for art that her right. fiance that does Jack not. shares. And yes. Yeah. Um, I also will say this is, goes in with the winking and it doesn't count because it's a deleted scene but a scene I'm so glad they cut, which is Molly Brown saying, hey, Sonny, how about some ice? L- would have loved more <laughs> Kathy Bates in this movie, but not like yeah. this. Not yeah. like this. <laughs> There's another another one of the deleted lines that's like, okay, we get it. Uh, oh, rowing. I can't possibly another... imagine a more useless right. skill. Why would I need rowing? <laughs> God, oh, God, so so glad they cut that. Although I do like the, the gym instructor character when he's like, I wouldn't want anything to impede my stroke. <laughs> it's also just fascinating seeing old timey exercise stuff is I understand that people did have to exercise in the early 1900s, of course. <laughs> but really, did it really happen? Because I kind of don't believe it did because it looks ridiculous. <laughs> Kate Winslet punching a little punching bag was like, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, oh, turn on. I didn't know I had. Um, <laughs> similarly, this movie taught me that I really have a thing for attractive women giving the finger. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. th- this movie was a big part of my self-discovery. This and Dante's Peak. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, you get Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan in the same movie. That is fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Look out below. Um, so <laughs> uh, rank uh, the most impressive to least impressive in this film. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. So the direction, the editing, the art direction, the special effects, and the writing. Okay. So I'm going, and I could probably be talked into changing any of these. This is one where, you know, because so much of it is just, it's the James Cameron show. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Uh, but I'm going the direction, the art direction, the special effects, the editing, the writing. Okay, so I similarly have writing at the bottom. Yeah, um, I think that one's kind of uh, hard to argue personally. But but the other four, I could I could see sort of switching around. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with art direction first because, like I said, yeah. when you combine like the costumes, the hair, yeah. um, everything that went into it, as well as I I consider, uh, I mean. This is technically under technical, but like the sound design, like right. said, one of the best designed sound, uh, sound movies of all time. The editing. Oh, my God. The, like good editing is invisible. And so there's not a lot of specific things I can say about the editing, but it really makes the pace of this movie. It, it's so appropriate from the yeah. long, like very indulgent, like, you know, the shot you talked about the last time they saw daylight to the right. absolutely frantic steering around the iceberg scenes. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Directing, like, you know, I think good directing results in good acting. I cannot knock the directing. Right. Yeah. Um, the effects, I, I appreciate how many practical effects there are in yes. this movie. Like, and a lot of the CGI holds up it not does. all of it but a lot of it looks pretty good these days i've noticed i think the version i have on netflix definitely fixes the um people pasted against the night sky kind yeah. of stuff and as much as i'm not a fan of going and like altering historic texts and stuff this is what i'm fine with because we're not changing the essence of the movie we're not like taking right. a line out or whatever and it's not the most like important effect in the movie yeah. you know it's just sort of establishing shots that don't look so good now yeah, yeah. you can you can clean those up if, if you've got the time and the energy yeah. but then yeah writing is number five and th- this movie is not poorly written it's just not well Parts of written it might be poorly yeah. written yeah yeah I, yeah we were they were being very because it did get an original screenplay nomination or even win i think 
I don't know if it won, but you're right. Yeah. It did win a ton of stuff. And I, but when it didn't get, I remember being furious <laughs> that Leonardo DiCaprio was not nominated. I was like, who are these Academy people and why are they so wrong? Yeah. Like, I mean, I like how I do like that Leo finally has an Oscar so it can stop being a meme that Leo yes. doesn't have an Oscar. I yes. think it was for the wrong movie. I think he should have gotten an Oscar for, um, for the departed. Um, yeah, but I would have said departed catch me if you can or Django unchained would have been the roles that I would have given it to him for. Absolutely. So yeah. who's your favorite character who is fictional? I think it's got to be Rose. You know, she's she's the she's the heart of the ocean. She's the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so much about her that is feminism 101 that is sort of clunky in 1997. It's certainly <laughs> clunky in 2023. But you connect to her emotionally so much. I think even if you're the most jaded person in the world watching this movie and didn't shed a tear, you're still like, that's sad mm-hmm. when, you know, at the very end you feel for her she she's I think it's the right decision that our leads are fictional and I think that especially uh the role of Rose being uh the fictional lead of the movie was the right decision yeah I I have to agree with Rose um and I think Kate Winslet's performance is the biggest reason for that um she's incredible in this movie she plays her so multi-dimensional even something like you can be both spirited and vulnerable lots of people are I think I think I am on my best days you know um and she plays that so well I love the relationships that you see Rose form with other people on the ship the really wonderful rapport she has with Andrews for example yes oh it's so sweet you know yeah um I I love her strength so it's gotta be Rose I will say like on an entertainment factor love Cal yeah he's he's a lot of fun (laughs) yeah uh I also you know while no one could really tear me away from Leo at the time I all Tommy Ryan always seemed like a real uh a nice cute second choice so he would he would probably be another one who I would throw into the mix there I am like definitely like culturally uh you know geared toward men like Tommy Ryan um (laughs) (laughs) so who is your favorite real character gotta be molly brown Mm -hmm. i love her i love every adaptation of her life Mm -hmm. i hope we get more i saw there was a uh revival of the unsinkable molly brown that i saw in like early march 2020 in a pre-broadway run and i think it puttered out because it was march 2020 um but beth malone who had been in fun home Mm -hmm. uh was playing her and she was incredible so i don't know if that production will ever get back anywhere but Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, fascinating woman, fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Okay, musical um, with some good songs. And gosh, Kathy Bates is like this was the first oh my God. movie I saw yeah. Kathy Bates in, and I became obsessed with her. And yeah, great actress to get obsessed with because she's had such a great career. She really has, yeah. and she completely brings it. I know that uh, Reba McIntyre was considered uh, at one point, which is I could bonkers also, to think of. See, I could also see her doing great with Molly Brown, but I'm glad yes. that this was the result we got because I think Reba McIntyre would also bring that lovely humanity that Molly yes. Brown has. Um, but yeah, so you know. Kathy Bates is my girl. Um, I am also going to give a nod to uh, Ismay. And I think Jonathan Hyde's performance is amazing. Actually, that's another deleted scene they so should not have cut it was like 10 extra friggin seconds of him walking along the Carpathia and everyone glaring 
at yes. him. Yes, yeah. that is a good one. Oh, okay. He's, yeah. Jonathan Hyde is fantastic. Um, yeah. He kind of like, he's so gregarious and big in every role. Um, yeah. I, I loved him. But yeah, like the true answer is Molly Brown. Yeah. Um, sidebar, if you want to talk about musicals that COVID ruined and like permanently, um, guess what is no, like what has officially left Canada for good? And this is so ridiculous to me is come from away. I know. It's a Canadian yeah. musical. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it closed on Broadway, too. Mm. I might be wrong about I'd, that. Is it still playing here? I had gotten to see the Canadian version, um, which is fine, but I will say I don't think anyone else can play Captain Bass like Jen Colella can. That's a yeah. hard solo to sing, and yeah. unfortunately the performer we saw, she, she didn't, didn't. Didn't quite get it. No, that's that's one of the most challenging songs that I've it's ever... It's a hard one. She's yeah. got such a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but who, yeah, who would have been a great Molly Brown in the musical, though, uh, speaking of, I mean, granted, not now, but back in the 90s, sure, mm-hmm. uh, is Reba McIntyre. There you go. Instead. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I love Reba. Um, I do, too. Yeah. So to conclude our thoughts on Titanic, uh, the two key things we like to say is what has and hasn't aged well. So let's say you're watching this for the first time in 2023 in your 30s. You know, and I'm not just talking about what hasn't aged well socially, but in terms of style, in terms of technique, what hasn't hasn't aged well to you? You know, there are some of the effects that don't quite hold up. There's some of that. Um, I think I think that the fact that so much of the story is this rich white lady's story, which granted <laughs> is the story of most of the people on the Titanic. So it's not, yeah. you know, but it, I think that there's there's something to uh, it not being uh the, it, it being so insular on their story maybe wouldn't necessarily but mm-hmm. you know it also totally does but i can't i cannot say for sure if that's you know how i would have felt if i saw it at any other point in my life mm-hmm. i think there are two things for me um that i don't think have necessarily aged quite as well like you said it's a poor little rich girl story but more specifically like I kind of don't like the whole, like, I've seen how poor people live and now I feel alive. Like, yeah, that's yeah. It's a very simple, like, I think I am absolutely, because I do think you get a lot of idea, like, the poor anguish and how different it is, but also similar, like, when it starts sinking, so I'm fine with that. But it's just like the, oh, I'm so thrilled seeing how the other half yeah. lives, kind of, you know, it's and, a little condescending to me. And, and the way she's sort of, you know, tries to ingratiate herself into it is so awkward in a way that probably didn't feel awkward to me in 1997, but her stealing the beer and going on point and all of that is uh, (laughs) so weird and awkward. And you'd imagine that those guys later when they leave are like, what was with that crazy rich lady? Like, <laughs> why was she here? What was she doing? Yeah. Did you see her get on her tiptoes? That was weird. Do you know so. how many people have asked me to do that in my fucking life? <laughs> I My notes say it's something like, it's weird when she gets on point. I can't wait to hear what Brie has to say about um, that. So. You're going to fuck your toenails up is what yeah. I'm going to say. Um, yeah. There's a reason I don't have nails on my pinky toes. Uh, sorry that is absolutely tmi but it's point is bad for you don't do it without point shoes don't do it wearing pantyhose i was gonna say you wouldn't be able to do it barefoot in stockings though really would you um we all you could but it would mess it up we all tried i don't think i could balance for as long as she did but we've all tried it um you'd end up really crunching over on your toes which is actually a very satisfying feeling but not immediately after um Yeah. yeah so it's the poor people as props and i just think 
this isn't even so much a social commentary, but I do think audiences are a, lo- a little more discerning these days, maybe even like too demand. I think sometimes audiences are too demanding. Like the way people are asking sure. for like deeper analysis in the Barbie movie. It's like, it's the Barbie yeah. movie, you guys. Yeah. Um, more intersectionality in this Mattel movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Chocobot hour. Um, yeah. No, um, but I do think there would be a bit more expectation that these characters be a little bit more fleshed out. In particular, Cal. Like, I like that yeah. Cal's such a cartoon, but really, I think audiences are a lot more discerning and expect their characters to be just a bit more well-rounded. And if you have yeah. a three-hour, 15-minute movie, it's like, why do I not know anything about these people? He's very mustache twirly in a way that is fun, but maybe, yeah, not, <laughs> not necessarily the most uh, fulfilling performance yeah Uh, we're just we're just here for godzilla um (laughs) (laughs) all right well chelsea thank you for being with us here on this ninth episode of tales from the rec room if you want again once again plug where we can find you read your thoughts and now's the time sure i'm at chelsea jupin on instagram and blue sky which maybe i'll start actually using who knows yeah, as for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde. Uh, I mean, I'm still technically hanging around on Twitter to promote the show at prune <laughs> underscore underscore Tracy. Uh, follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales on Twitter. Uh, but I am on Blue Sky at Prune Tracy. And hopefully we'll get the show on Blue Sky very soon. Um, I got to stop giving out invite codes to other hosts of the show I, and give myself an invite code. I have one left over th- that I haven't sold on Twitter yet. I will be sending that to you when this is over spoiler alert folks (laughs) so new episodes come out thursdays during the summer we are almost finished but it has been a great summer season you can join us back in the rec room next week with chris cabin for the dark nights Titanic 2. I'm sure that's a thing. (laughs) There is. I've watched it. It was terrible. Oh, no. It looks like they made it for about $5,000. There are, like, printouts saying, like, Titanic. We all got (laughs) super high. This was back when Chris and Eric and Steve all lived together, and we watched it at their apartment, and it was not good. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. I didn't I didn't know that. I have to look this up now. Yeah. Um, I don't think you actually do. <laughs> <laughs>